0: This is episode 105. Have you ever had a skin rash and you didn't know what it was? Maybe your skin flares up when you're stressed or you're sick, or maybe you have chronic lifelong eczema which causes you to itch like crazy, followed by loading up on creams and oils which don't quite seem to make it go away and you get stuck in this soul-destroying cycle of trying to fix the problem. It no doubt drives you completely nuts. On this episode, we go beyond skin. We get into the causes of eczema, how to manage it, and the myths and misconceptions that all parents, friends, and family should know about their loved ones that are forced to deal with this super challenging skin condition. Let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Love having you on the show with me today, coming to you from Russia. Oh, I am at Melbourne. Sorry, I'm coming to you from Melbourne. Sorry, I got a bit confused there. I've watched the news today. Um, what I'm not confused about is that it is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want before the end of 2020, which really isn't too far away at this point. So, what are we talking about today? Skin. And more importantly, eczema. And to get into this with me, we've got one of the lovely team members from our beloved Melbourne Functional Medicine. And so we've got a functional medicine naturopath with a special interest in not only skin conditions, but also women and children's health, autoimmunity and digestive health, which we all know can all be kind of interlinked sometimes. Rebecca Hughes is who I'm talking about and she is committed to high quality results, driven healthcare for her patients and more broadly to excellence in the field of natural medicine. In fact, Rebecca won the 2020 BIMA Clinical Excellence Award as recognition from the natural health industry for her outstanding skills as a practitioner. Rebecca's contribution to natural medicine extends beyond the clinical setting as she has lectured in nutrition and naturopathic degree programs, regulated complementary medicines at the TGA or the Therapeutic Goods Administration, coordinated mental health guidance for the National Health and Medical Research Council, the NHMRC, which give out lots of different grants as well. You might know them there. And she's also contributed to a national reference text on herbs and natural supplements. Basically, in a nutshell, Rebecca is a powerhouse of the natural health industry. She brings a wealth of clinical experience to the treatment and management of acne, eczema, psoriasis, period pain, PMS, menopause, thyroid conditions, and IBS. And today we are talking about that which was at the front of that list: eczema. So, Rebecca, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Thank you, Maddie. I am well. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You are more than welcome. We love the team down at Melbourne Functional Medicine, therefore we love you. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you become so passionate about dermatology?
1: Well, it's a bit of a combination of personal experience and professional experience. So personally, when I was much younger, I had to deal with acne, unfortunately, um as a young adult which was quite a surprise to me like to to have acne after i finished high school mm. i was um i was not expecting that and i got you know i wasn't a naturopath then in fact i didn't really know much at all then and um i was funneled down the usual medical funnel of antibiotics and the oral contraceptive pill and um Roacatain and no, you know, none of the risks or anything to do with that were really uh, explained to me, and um, and it just persisted for a really long time and and affected me personally because you know having acne on your face in your early twenties is not a fun thing and certainly has impacts on self esteem and mental health. So I'm pretty that's why I'm pretty passionate about treating skin conditions because. I know that it impacts people much more than just their physiology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it
1: has, it has more broader impacts for them. So, yeah, that's I guess why I'm really passionate about it at a professional level.
0: How common is it amongst the population?
1: There's so many varying statistics. Like there's, there's some statistics that say that it's, you know, 20% of the population and then there was a big epidemiological trial done in 2017 which said actually – there's, there's a high incidence in adults and that's underreported um, but I'd say anywhere between sort of 10 and 20 percent and 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 that's pediatric and adult populations
0: yeah right that's yeah it's pretty high and and I guess to affect people's self-esteem and their mental health and things like that especially that which appears on your face mm. can be quite impactful um, for something for the, for some people is just a, a little bit of a skin irritation um, but I'd love to know more, particularly with your own journey, because you mentioned antibiotics, you meant to, mentioned a few different medications there. With the conventional approach, like steroid creams and things like that, what what is that actually doing? Because we know, especially on the podcast and obviously you down at Melbourne Functional Medicine, that a lot of uh, conventional medications are doing a really good job at suppressing symptoms and masking what's what's really going on. But those medications, how effective are they? And do they just irritate the problem further later down the track when you choose to address it naturally?
1: Well, yeah. Look, steroids are very, very powerful drugs, and I think that they're kind of underestimated in their level of power because they're prescribed and available in such an easy fashion. Like you can even get low-dose steroid creams over the counter without even talking to a pharmacist, I think. Um, and then there is increasing percentages that are prescribed by doctors and dermatologists. And um, unfortunately I think the part that isn't really uh considered or necessarily communicated to patients is that you can develop tolerance to these types of drugs. So for a while they work and they suppress the inflammatory response and therefore reduce the redness and the pain and the itching. But over time, that's why people need to be prescribed higher and higher doses or concentrations of steroids. And um, so there's there's a problem with that that I'll go into in a moment, but but also the issue with, with steroids intrinsically is actually that they over time they start to thin the skin and impair its healing time. So it's kind of counterproductive. Like if you have a skin condition where you've already got this increased requirement for repairing that tissue and then you're using a drug that, um, whilst it might control the inflammation, actually thins and makes that tissue more fragile... It's not very useful as a long-term solution. It might be good as a short-term Band-Aid fix, but it's not really a management tool in my opinion. Um, and then there's also this horrible syndrome called topical steroid withdrawal syndrome, which is a type of steroid rebound. And, you know, you see steroid rebound in with people who use nasal decongestants, for example, where they report Feeling much more congested after they stop using the nasal decongestants. and the same thing happens with um, topical steroids and it 's also called sometimes red skin syndrome right and it's a it's a, actually an iatrogenic or um, medication related disease that is separate to the eczema so not only then is someone dealing with their eczema returning from stopping their steroids now they're dealing with a whole other um immune related situation from withdrawing the the use of steroids.
0: Yeah, wow. So the steroids essentially cause a secondary I guess health issue.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a really long one. Topical steroid withdrawal can take months and years to for people to for normal function of the immune system and and the skin to restore and and resume its normal sort of state. It's it's very debilitating for people.
0: Yeah, it sounds horrific, and I, I actually know a couple of people that have had s- some kind of experience in that space. And although I'm definitely not a dermatology expert myself, but my understanding of the the dermatology field is that as as a general field, we don't really know a ton about it, and things like, you know eczema is is a really really broad umbrella term for a lot of different Mm. just it's kind of like the word cancer you know the word cancer is an umbrella term for hundreds of different diseases and it's kind of like that with eczema so that must make approaching um eczema you know be it conventional medicine or naturopathic medicine really challenging because it's like where do we begin with this massive umbrella of of different symptoms that fit underneath that umbrella
1: Yeah, it can make it challenging. I suppose the diagnostic label isn't really that important to me. You know, call it eczema, call it atopic dermatitis, call it hives. You know, it's not really uh, that, it's not that useful from a treatment perspective. Um, I think what's, what you, what's useful to know is that the immune system is dysregulated. Otherwise it wouldn't be causing this reaction in the in, in a yeah. in, you know in this particular human and that's the main thing to understand and I think that's I think that's fundamentally the only thing we really understand actually is that there's a loss of T regulator cell activity so um, you know there's a suppress you know there's a um, because of that then there's more IgE mediated reactions mast cells are primed um, there's a inhibition of of um, T helper cells. So that's primarily what's driving the immune dysregulation. But but then you've got to work out well, well why? Why is the immune system behaving that way? And and that could be that could be anything from really from molds, mold spores, to food to dysbiosis, so an imbalance in the microbiome. Um, it could be that sensitization has actually happened through the skin itself because even the epithelial barrier is an opportunity for sensitization it doesn't always have to have to happen internally or systemically to start with i don't know like that, yeah that's just that's just some of them that's just some of them and there's also a relationship between autoimmunity and atopy because of that t regulator cell dysfunction like there are there's studies that show links between um, autoimmune thyroiditis and um, and atopy, yeah, right. Atopy being, you know, eczema, asthma, hay fever.
0: What is that? A histamine based link?
1: Mm, I'm not really sure. the The main thing I think that they they that they think it points to is um, the T regulator cell function um, not being not being there, and so all of those other because T regulator cells control a whole lot of other ways that, that the immune system behaves. It's going to cause or you know, it's going to result in dysregulation overall. and if you think of and, and then you can put then it's easy to sort of see how atopy and autoimmunity actually are related whereas previously I think we thought they were sort of quite separate arms of the immune system and, and yeah. had a different etiology whereas now there's there's more and more evidence pointing to that they're actually quite highly related. And that's why you do see them in families. Like as part of my clinical work, I take um, family histories. And so for people who have atopic dermatitis or eczema, I'll often see things like psoriasis or thyroiditis or things like that in their family history, whereas they may not experience that personally, but how the immune dysregulation is manifesting in them is in their skin.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, and I obviously love that because you know you went back to the immune system cause-based medicine, which is of course you know the functional medicine approach, whereas the conventional medical approach is you know suppress the symptoms and then cause a few it sounds like cause a few <laughs> other issues with with that suppression. And so um, it's interesting that you go back to the, the the core functioning of the immune system. So obviously the thing we hear a lot is that you know these types of things often start in the gut. So from a gut perspective. For mm. those that suffer these these skin issues that that are a gut co- are caused by a dysregulated gut or a dysbiosis, mm. what is it? Is it their diet? Is it you know experiences they had as children? Is it you know maybe experiences that they had in the womb that have led to that? Because I, I myself actually was born with all over body eczema Mm. and um, tried steroid creams. I have no memory of this. This is my mum just (laughs) telling me this, but um, she tried all the different creams from the doctors and and all these different things. And the only thing that worked was uh, mum did an aromatherapy course in the late 80s and whipped up a concoction. It was (laughs) almond oil based. never saw eczema ever again, but it was the only thing that worked. So Mm. I'm really curious, um, you know, what... Are the the people out there that experience it that going that have got something going wrong in their gut? What is it usually?
1: Well, there's two stages, I suppose, because there's upper digestive function, which is where I'm more concerned about um, barrier function and permeability of Mm -hmm. primarily the small intestine. So the small intestine can become permeable from anything, anything from gluten and gliadin in 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 grains to uh, they might have IgG or IgE-mediated food sensitivities or allergies. There could be pathogens that have caused um, some kind of uh, transient permeability, transient or permanent. Um, Something I've been reading and learning more about lately actually is um, mycotoxins from mould and their ability to cause intestinal permeability and then stuff that, you know, skin conditions that look like eczema, like it's not necessarily atopy, but it it looks like that. So certainly intestinal permeability, I think is really important because then that contributes to that, um, like that poorly moderated immune response, because basically, you know, your small intestine is usually a fairly tightly regulated um, situation where your body intelligently decides what 's coming through and what 's not passing through um, the barrier, but when when that barrier is compromised, then um, you know elements dietary elements can then pass through um, into the lymph, and then the immune system starts to wake up and starts to um, maybe perceive threats that are not necessarily threats um, so there 's that, and then in the large intestine. Or the large colon, probably my main concern is about well, whether someone's moving their bowels or not, and I think that's that that's (laughs) that's something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily realise is that having a full and complete bowel motion every day is actually a normal, healthy thing to do, and it actually is part of detoxifying your body of things that are no longer required. So there's that. And usually if there is any constipation, um, it's often caused by an imbalance in the the ecology of the large bowel. So call it dysbiosis, call it, you know, whatever term you like, but it's an imbalance of those bowel flora. And, you know, I think we've really only just sort of touched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to microbiome research as well, that we're only just Definitely. beginning to understand what our microbiome does but we certainly know that it confers a lot about how our immune system behaves so if there've been you know long courses of antibiotics for example or um uh a a cesarean section or uh no breastfeeding or all those things that help um create a healthy microbiome then i think they're risk factors for developing atopy and um and you know, there's there's certainly a, a lot of um, evidence to show that in countries where they aren't as sanitary, like as in the West, where we've we've sanitized our food supply and our water, <laughs> and we've sanitized everything, you know, all the way from from vaccination all the way through. So our innate immune system doesn't really have an awful lot to do anymore. Um, that includes eradicating worms you know, which was, you know, we fundamentally lived with worms for a, a long time. Um, and so what's considered to be protective also is living in an environment where um, you're in a big family because when you're in a big family there's more bugs around, uh, living around animals, being in contact with soil, microbes, um, and, you know, getting the odd uh, infection, for example. They're all protective elements for um, not developing uh, atopic conditions
0: hey hey my listeners what's up If you're enjoying the episode thus far, please consider writing a review and dropping in five stars on the Apple Podcast page of this show as it really does help the visibility of the podcast to guide other people to find it. And as well, it helps other curious people just like yourself prior to tuning into the show to see whether or not this podcast is a good fit. And I, of course, hope that it is. And so that's really the best way to support our work and what we do here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. Oh, and I also love seeing you share the episode on Twitter instagram or facebook and i often reshare those posts so be sure to give me a tag at matty lansdowne okay let's get back into the episode not that I wish to get into it, but that's one of the <laughs> things that I've suggested is going to be a real consequence of this unique chapter of history that we're experiencing right now with just such excessive and extreme sterility mm. in a world that most people don't realize, as you've just said, is already over-sterilized.
1: Mm. Yes.
0: I can only imagine the skin conditions that are going to come out of this period of time.
1: Well, yeah, I know. I've been thinking about that myself because it's it's not just that people are it's not just that you're disrupting them because there is there are bugs on the outside and on the inside. I mean, let's face it, we're just a host of a bacteria really and <laughs> <laughs> we're not in control, the bugs are. and um, Totally. And so, yeah, all the hand sanitising and washing is going to disrupt the skin microbiome. It's going to disrupt the pH because naturally it's supposed to be slightly acidic. It's going to disrupt the oily protective layer and as soon as the as soon as your skin gets dry, it doesn't even need to actually be damaged. As soon as the skin gets dry, the barrier has been disrupted. Yep. And that's all that's required for sensitization through the skin is just dry skin. Yeah, right. So you think of all the 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 washing that we do, even in general, like even before um, uh, before there was a, a global pandemic and and sterilizing everything. But even just before that, even bathing every single day was you know, is not commonplace in some countries, and certainly not commonplace in sometimes in, in some times in history. And so, I think even with with daily bathing, we're also disrupting that microbiome and have to be conscious of um, replacing the that no, that nice oily barrier of our skin.
0: And that leads me to then sort of ask or comment on you know. We go from washing ourselves multiple times a day and you know, the hygiene hypothesis is arguably doing more damage than good to the human body in the context of this conversation. And not only that, but then you get in the shower twice a day or Mm. even just once a day and you put on these cheap, you know, manufactured chemical abundant, toxin abundant, uh, you know, shampoos, conditioners, body washers, then you get out, then you put on your cheap oils and your makeup and <laughs> stuff like that. And the skin is just so overwhelmed with just toxic substances that it's got to work through all day that we do every day. No wonder the body ends up having an immune dysregulation when it just can't keep up with how many toxins are coming in the skin.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I never really, I mean, I do think about it, but yeah, it certainly is a, bo- a bombardment. And some of those things are lipid soluble, which means they'll they'll actually permeate, you know, the, the basal membrane. And so some of them are getting through, some of them aren't getting through, but they're probably still all stimulating an immune response of some kind. and And that's just the outside, right? That doesn't even take into consideration what we're doing to the inside.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the important messages Mm. to come out of a conversation about skin from, I guess, a functional medicine perspective for the listeners is to really understand that the inside, the outside, the top, the bottom, the whole body is connected and what you do to one totally affects the other. I think the skin's a really good example Mm. of that.
1: Absolutely. Even um, if you think about it as 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 an organ of detoxification, we also have other organs of detoxification. We have our liver and gallbladder, our large colon, the lymphatics, and the renal system, so the kidneys and so if all of those if any one of those organs or systems of detoxification is compromised for any reason, whether it is you're having to take a particular kind of medication for something else which could stress the liver or you're constipated or you're you have inadequate hydration. Or you're simply not even moving enough because it's, you know, physical movement is what moves the lymph. So you actually have to exercise to have your to have your lymph move. So if any of those systems gets compromised, of course, the the burden then spreads to the other organs, which includes the skin. So that's how I think of it. You know, when I'm treating people clinically, I'm thinking, how is this person also not just sources of inflammation, but how is the whole system of detoxification working in this individual?
0: Further to the conversation around detoxification, I know um, from my own research, and I recently put a masterclass together on sleep and the benefits to just oh, yeah. virtually every possible illness and disease state. And so, I'm wondering if you can talk to the fact that, like, does eczema or skin conditions generally are they impacted strongly by developing a good sleep pattern, or even maybe that's a causative effect of having you know years and years, if not decades, of poor sleep.
1: Yeah, well, I think particularly with eczema, not so much not so much acne because there's not a lot of itching involved with acne, but in eczema there's for some people like an insane amount of discomfort. Like insane discomfort and itching that is there all the time and it's almost impossible to you can't you can't stop yourself from itching in your sleep. Yeah. Because you don't even know that you're itching in your sleep. Yeah. So yes, depending on how long the person has had eczema, yeah, they probably will have a really disrupted sleep cycle and particularly sleep quality. Um, And that's just dreadful because of course you need good quality sleep to repair any kind of tissue like you need. That's why, you know, when we get sick, we sleep longer because our immune system is going to work to try and make us to make us better and so that we stop expending energy, basically, so that it can do its job. Yeah. And and given that someone with um, a chronic skin condition is needs like this extra help, like a lot of energy and nutrition and resources going into making skin cells. Because when you're turning over that many skin cells, you need you you need more nutrition, but you also just need more energy to make that happen and um and sleep is where obviously you get your energy reserves it's where you restore yourself and um yeah so I think it's uh it's quite a difficult situation for people with with eczema that their sleep does get compromised and so yeah it's certainly a mainstay of my treatment is working on sleep at the same time as working on on skin and other systems of the body
0: you mentioned in there, like the excessive itching and discomfort. I'm, I'm curious. And this is just going out on a bit of a limb as somebody that obviously hasn't experienced that type of thing. But is there a, do you ever find that there's a psychological or belief element too for people that have that excessive itching that maybe, um, you know, just becomes such a natural part of their, their behavior, like an idiosyncrasy that they have, um, that, that kind of perpetuates the cycle? Like, you know, I have eczema, I'm itchy, therefore I scratch, and this is just a, a loop that people can get suck, stuck into as well. Does that ever contribute to the problem?
1: I don't know that it's that conscious, but I think there's certainly habitual scratching and nervous scratching. That's what I've observed in yeah. in a lot of my patients like who are sitting in front of me, and I can see that if they get nervous about something or if they start talking about something that is – um a source of stress in their life that often they'll start itching more at that point, or right. itching or scratching more at that point. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily uh, an identification with the condition, but it's more that the the itching and the scratching has been going on for such a long time that it has become a habit, an unconscious habit.
0: Yeah, that's mm. really interesting. I'm always interested in the belief and sort of habitual patterning of different things because it's just another layer of of, of complexity to try and solve that issue because it, it sort of blends into one's identity at some point mm-hmm. um, which becomes you know just really challenging to, to tether, untether those sort of things apart
1: oh absolutely and you know maybe that's where things like cognitive behavioral therapy would also be like a useful adjunct to treatment in adults um in little kids it's next to impossible um for sure with, with um, <laughs> With babies, they will put mitts on them to stop them from scratching themselves. You know, that's something that's done. But um, I think, you know, you definitely, there there are definitely other options besides cortisone to apply topically to relieve itching. And, you know, it's interesting that you talked about um, an aromatherapy course before, because there's certainly something that, you know, I, I make some of my own preparations sometimes for patients, and I, I always use um, a fat-based medium to start with because even a cream or a lotion is still primarily water. Yeah. And and water is drying; it's inherently drying. That's why you know when you get out of the shower, your skin can feel um, dry and rough and dehydrated. So I always put it in a fat-based medium. And then adding things, you know, adding preparations that have anti-inflammatory components to them, like chamomile, for example, um, has this component called alpha bisabolol, and that has a really strong anti-inflammatory um, action, you know, as does lavender. Um, I mean, there, there are a range of essential oils and plant-based components that do have anti-inflammatory actions. Even licorice applied topically could be anti-inflammatory. So there's, there's certainly things that you could do and you can do topically to, to help it, um, keeping the skin um, moisturised but with something that's fat-based for, um, like oils, almond oil. Jojoba oil apparently resembles the ceramides in our skin the most closely. Um, yeah, there's, there, there are options. And I think integrity of the, the barrier is probably one of the most important things. And then there's also a consideration around bacterial infiltration, which is a bit of a a problem as well, because I think there are some studies that report that people with eczema have um, like at least ninety percent of them have a higher count of staph aureus on their skin compared to healthy controls. Um, I don't know if it's up to ninety percent because I think that shows up more from my from my observations. Those patients tend to have much angrier, um, more red eczema compared to other people, and I think that's the type of eczema that looks like it's a, like a, a bacterial metabolite is aggravating the skin.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's yeah, and it's good to know, of course, that some of these things you know, you're able to make up and make decisions based on the individual, that kind of personalized medicine approach mm. because obviously everyone's so different. Their lives are different. Their their pasts are different. And so, yeah, it's really good. And and I think you would have surprised a lot of people there with your comment about uh, the creams being mainly water-based and thus a drying agent and not being the most ideal option. So I think a lot of people had a bit of a light bulb moment there. Mm. <laughs> um, speaking of light bulb moments, I'd love you to talk to some common myths and misconceptions about eczema. Like there's obviously a lot of people listening that have uh, you know, are gonna have this to some degree, whether it appears randomly or whether they have it long term chronically. So love it if you could talk to some myths and misconceptions to help people get their head around just what they're dealing with.
1: Well, look, I've probably already harped on about it enough, but the um treating that treating the outside only is a sufficient approach to treating eczema because it is whilst it appears only on the outside, it is actually a systemic condition. So it is your whole immune system creating this response that manifests on the outside of the body. So I think, you know, the treating the inside, you know, everything we talked about, like gut permeability and the microbiome and modulating the immune system, that's all really important as well as treating the outside. And then I think also for people who've never experienced eczema, um, or never been around someone who's had chronic eczema, I think there's sometimes this myth or misconception that it's a mild condition, that there's something quite um, benign about it, like it's just a skin rash. Yeah. And I, I challenge anyone who um, <laughs> who hasn't had a, a chronic itch, even if it's just from like really bad midges or mosquito bites or something, to say that having that in your life day in, day out, hour after hour is not um is not going to affect you and affect your mental health. So that's certainly what I've noticed the most is that that with the longer the eczema goes on in well particularly in adults I'm speaking about adults the more likely they are to have things like sleep disorders and anxiety disorders that are that are directly related to their condition and in children because I treated I've treated a lot of kids with eczema. Um, how it shows up in them, of course, is completely different. And I think it sometimes get mi- gets missed because it gets dismissed as tantrums. It's like, oh, they're just having a meltdown, or they're just having a tantrum. It's like, no, their whole nervous system is completely irritated.
0: Like yeah. it's totally
1: irritated yeah. by what's happening, by what's happening to them. And they're not intrinsically naughty kids who have meltdowns. They're just, they just don't have the language necessarily to. Express how they feel, and I've certainly um, experienced this with plenty of parents. Who, like when I've treated the child for the eczema, they're like, "Oh my god, it's like I have a different kid."
0: That's a good outcome,
1: and and in yeah, yeah, it is a good outcome.
0: Yeah, wow. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess that's that's good to, for parents to know as well. Like, and I can imagine there's a, a long list of, I guess, health challenges that kids experience that they don't have the language for, uh, that uh, you know, they they act out because. They're unable to communicate that that situation.
1: Mm. Yeah, they wouldn't even have a, a word or a name for how their body feels.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, Rebecca, I've loved having you on the show. Thanks so much. I think you've yeah dropped a bunch of bombs and uh, you know blown people's minds here, especially those that have family members, kids with these issues. So I'm really, really grateful for your time. But where can people find you online um, or at your clinic where you are um, that have skin issues or women's, men's health issues, gut issues, or anything like that?
1: Oh, well, where I practice is, is is Melbourne Functional Medicine. So their website address is www.melbournefunctionalmedicine.com.au and the Instagram handle is at melbournefxmed. And I also have my own website, which is www.rebeccahughes.com.au.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing and I'll put all of your links and your handles and tags and whatnot in the show notes below and for anyone listening, if you've learnt anything on this episode or you have a friend or family member that you know could benefit, please share the episode, take a screenshot, chuck it into your Instagram story or whichever social media platform you like to hang out on and uh, give us both a tag. And to wrap up, Rebecca, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about?
1: (sighs) Oh, talk about putting me on the spot! Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's so many, right? I had to answer this question myself on episode 100.
1: (laughs) I I actually think it's what I you know I said it earlier in in the episode is that the importance of I know it's not nobody wants to talk about it, but the healthiness of poo and having. A full, complete, well-formed bowel motion is a really good sign of excellent health, and I don't, I, I, and every day, and I think that's um, that's all you need to know.
0: I love that. And for <laughs> everybody listening, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to what's called—you may or may not have heard this—the Bristol Chart. And you're going to make an assessment of your situation when you go to the <laughs> toilet next, and you're going to know exactly what Rebecca means, and you want to be a four.
1: You want to be a four. I do feel sorry for Bristol, though, that that's what they're famous for. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more with that. With that, I totally agree. Good gut health, good bowel movements, uh, yeah, central to overall health. Exactly. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time, Rebecca. I look forward to catching up again soon.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye